This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Good afternoon, everybody. We are three days away from Tuesday's primary election. Republicans in New Jersey will pick an opponent for Governor Phil Murphy, and he is looking to become the first incumbent Democratic governor to win re-election to a second term in 44 years. The frontrunner is former Assemblyman Jack Chitterelli, but he faces what was, at least two weeks ago, uh, a surprisingly close six-point race with Hirsch Singh. He is a 36-year-old Peter Pan-like character whose father gave him about a half a million dollars to, to go play with running for governor. Singh has draped himself in Donald Trump, whose popularity among Republicans in New Jersey is still sky high. And, and that might explain the close race, even though the, the stronger anti-Chitterelli candidate is is probably another pro-Trump conservative, a man named Phil Rizzo. He's a, a real estate developer turned pastor turned politician. So, so there's a lot to watch on, on Tuesday night. Uh, there's, there's a lot of important state Senate and assembly primaries, uh, that we're going to be looking at. The New Jersey Globe will be on top of election results. So keep coming back on Tuesday night to njglobe.com for up to the minute results. There's, there's a lot that you're going to want to know. Coming up at 420, I'll be joined by Sheila Oliver, the Lieutenant Governor of New Jersey. She's about to embark on her own re-election campaign. She spent the, the last three and a half years shepherding the revitalization of Atlantic City, watching out for local government services, uh, advocating on housing issues, disaster recovery, and, and mitigation. Lieutenant Governor Oliver, never hesitates to speak her mind. So you're going to want to hear everything that she has to say. And and after that, you're not going to want to miss this. I'll be joined by two people who are inside the room for major decisions involving uh, campaigns and elections in New Jersey. Michael Muller, the executive director of the Democratic Assembly Campaign Committee, and Dan Scharfenberger, the executive director of the Senate Republican Majority Campaign Committee. Uh, we will talk about primaries for governor, state senate, and the assembly, and I promise you're, you're going to want to hear this. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Just to be clear, New Jersey elections are, considering the circumstances, back to normal. Tuesday's primary election is in-person voting. You can go to your normal polling place. You can vote in person in the voting booth on a machine. And New Jersey has about six and a half million voters, about four million are either Democrats or Republicans, so they are eligible to vote in the primary election. If you are unaffiliated with any political party, some people call them independents, you can vote in Tuesday's primary. All you have to do is show up at your polling place and declare your party affiliation. Uh, there's two rules that you should know about. Uh, first, if you want to vote in one party's primary, understand it isn't necessarily permanent. You can switch back to unaffiliated or even sign up for a different political party after Tuesday. 
And second, if you're already a Democrat or you're already a Republican, you may not switch parties for this Tuesday. That ship has sailed, but only for this year. Party registrations are never permanent. You're, you're allowed to evolve. You're permitted to change your mind. County clerks have mailed out about 720,000 vote-by-mail ballots. About 25% of them have been returned. Uh, this is important because if you're one of the half a million New Jerseyans who set up uh, a uh, ability to automatically receive vote-by-mail ballots and you haven't returned them, you've got two options. One is uh, you can, of course, still return it. You have till Tuesday. But if you're still planning to vote by mail, do not, do not, do not, I hope I'm being clear, do not entrust the U.S. Postal Service with your ballot unless you're willing to risk having your vote not count because they are, well, I mean, they're the post office and they're not 100% reliable. Uh, their ballot drop boxes up and down New Jersey, and that's your best option. Call your county clerk if you don't know where they are. Option number two is you can still vote in person at your polling place, but understand that if you got a vote-by-mail ballot, you'll need to cast a provisional ballot. That means a paper ballot and not use the machine. But please know that this vote counts the same as any other vote. Do not let anyone tell you differently. And just remember, take responsibility for your own ballot. If you if you mailed it, check and confirm. You can track your ballot online. Just just Google New Jersey Track My Ballot, and that site from the Division of Elections will come up. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, some sad news this week. Uh, Raymond Donovan, self-made man from Bayonne, started out studying to become a priest, and then he became uh, the head of, of one of the largest heavy construction companies in the United States before becoming Ronald Reagan's Secretary of Labor. He died on Wednesday. He was 90. He's one of three living members of Reagan's cabinet. Ray Donovan suffered a, a terrible fate in his career when the, the Bronx District Attorney indicted him in 1985 for defrauding the New York City Transit Authority. His construction firm was working on a subway line extension. Some, uh, including me at the time, thought that the prosecution might be politically motivated. So did the jury. Donovan had to resign from the cab, and he was put on trial. And this trial, I mean, and get, get this, this trial lasted eight months. And so after eight months of hearing testimony, the jury deliberated for just a few hours. And after just one vote, all 12 jurors voted to acquit Donovan. And and this part of the story stuck with me because you don't even see this on television. The jurors actually gave Donovan a standing ovation after they delivered their verdict. And, and Donovan walked out of the courtroom and what he said was chilling. He said, it's a cruel thing what they did to me. And then he followed it by a statement that's become legendary in American politics. He said, which office do I go to to get my reputation back? And and that's a question from another guy from Bayonne this week, a former assemblyman who, who watched a Superior Court judge dismiss an indictment against him because the New Jersey Attorney General's office, the judge says, got the law wrong. And there's a bigger issue here. The attorney general operated a, a big sting operation that netted some of the, the smallest fish I've ever seen, and I've been doing Jersey politics for almost 50, 48 years. 
it's it's a complicated story, but what happened here is unusual. In the in the middle of a race for mayor of Bayonne, a cooperating witness for the state, a guy wearing a wire, a, a, a apparently sleazy lawyer named Matt O'Donnell, allegedly tried to make a deal to become the city's tax attorney in exchange for money to fund the campaign. And campaign contributions for spoils of victory, like that's something new in New Jersey. There's a lot of legal issues here. I mean, like I said, it's, it's complicated. But there's a value judgment that lawmakers and policymakers ought to consider. And that is, is it ever okay to interfere with an election? The race for mayor turned out not to be close. But what if it was? What if the money the attorney general allegedly had his cooperating witness put in the campaign turned out to be the deciding factor in the campaign? What if the attorney general affected the outcome? New Jersey's seen razor-thin margins in recent mayoral elections. I can think of a few that were decided by less than five votes out of thousands cast in the last few years. Interference in elections, whether it's Russia or politicians or the media or overzealous prosecutors, well, I mean, that's a big deal. It's a big issue these days. So my question is this, and it's something for all of you to ponder. Should law enforcement ever tinker with an election? Should people with badges ever be allowed to interfere with free elections? And, and this is, as, as some might say, above my pay grade. But I think it's worthy of discussion. We're a, a nation of checks and balances. We're a country of, of rules, of separate but equal branches of government. And there, there ought to be a real discussion on the virtues of replacing free and fair elections for any reason at all. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, this was a big week, uh, and, and this is a big deal. Governor Phil Murphy lifted the COVID-19 public health emergency that it first went into effect on March 9th, 2020. This has been a, a long haul. And now all restrictions on businesses and gatherings have been lifted. That's a, a result of New Jersey's public health metrics. Things have gotten better. Uh, and the governor has signed a bill passed by the legislature this week that it extends what are described as necessary tools to manage the ongoing pandemic. Uh, under the new law, uh, it sunsets next January uh, when either either Murphy or someone else will be governor. The governor will still have considerable autonomy over vaccines and testing and data collection, the implementation of CDC guidelines. So... Uh, this was a big week. It, it's a it's a big hurdle that everybody has uh, has moved forward on, and and so uh, regardless of which side side you're on, you 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 have to feel good about the fact that New Jersey is is moving forward and things are getting better. Uh, coming up next is Lieutenant Governor. Sheila Oliver. I'm going to ask her about some important issues facing the state and about some some political issues. And, and since Lieutenant Governor Oliver has never been shy about her opinion, you're not going to want to miss a word of what she has to say. Uh, later, I'll speak with two New Jersey campaign strategists, Democrat Michael Mueller, Republican Dan Scharfenberger, about Tuesday's primary election. So please don't go away. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. 
the pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. The following is a paid political announcement. Who is Hirsch Singh? Can we trust anything he says? Singh claims to be pro-Trump but publicly supported Barack Obama. He says he's a successful businessman, but records show he still lives with his parents paying zero in property taxes. Worse, Singh is bankrolled by the same major donor who funded liberals like Hillary Clinton and even Phil Murphy. That's deceptive. That's dishonest. That's her Singh. Republicans need a leader who can beat Phil Murphy. That leader is Jack Cedarelli. Jack will cut taxes, end the Murphy lockdowns, reopen our schools, defend life, and protect our freedoms. For decades, the liberal special interests have crushed New Jersey's working families, and it's only gotten worse under Phil Murphy. Jack Cedarelli is the conservative leader who can take them on and the only Republican who can win in November. Because Jack knows New Jersey can do better. And when he's governor, we will. Paid for by Cedarelli for Governor in P.O. Box 427, Somerville, New Jersey. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein. Uh, Sheila Oliver is the lieutenant governor of New Jersey. She's, she also serves in Governor Murphy's cabinet as commissioner of community affairs. While she's not on the ballot next week, she will be in November when the Murphy-Oliver team stands for re-election. Lieutenant Governor, welcome. Thank you so much, David. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. No, thank you for coming on. Uh, you started out at the local level. You were a school board member uh, in East Orange. You were an Essex County freeholder, speaker of the state assembly. You you have broken a lot of glass ceilings through your career. I, I don't think there's another woman in the Democratic Party who has risen to the level that you have. Did, did you ever imagine that this political career that you started in the 1990s would would take the trajectory that it did no and uh you know ironically uh i never had interest quite frankly in uh running for office or serving in office but um caught it caught my my journey has really caught me by surprise but something i've always been into david was uh problem solving and speaking for people who couldn't speak for themselves and trying to help people navigate through the bureaucracy of government. Uh, but uh, as I, you know, began to be a freeholder and then go, you know, going to the state legislature, you know, it even reinforced for me that there is power in these offices if uh, that power is used properly. So here I am, lieutenant governor and commissioner of the New Jersey Department of Community Affairs. 
And, and Lieutenant Governor, one of your main responsibilities is supervising the the state's control over Atlantic City, especially after the the decline of the the casino industry, put the city's finances on the uh, I guess on the brink of insolvency. What's the outlook for Atlantic City now? Excellent. And uh, since there has been state intervention under the uh, Misra Law, uh, the Municipal Revitalization uh, Act as we know it, Atlantic City's future looks bright. We have uh, elevated uh, the, the fiscal ratings of the town. Uh, Moody's and uh, Standard & Poor's, you know, has given us two consistent uh, outlook reports upgrading us. Uh, this is our third year of a no property tax increase in Atlantic City. Uh, we're doing a great deal of uh, development for the first time in decades. We're bringing a brand-new ShopRite supermarket to the city. Uh, we've got developers who are interested in doing some residential development because one of my uh, priorities is to increase home ownership in Atlantic City. I think Atlantic City can be a very attractive second home-buying community. When we go up and down the Jersey Shore, you know what those prices are like. When you look at the cost of, of acquisition of land in Atlantic City, it's, you know, it, it's promising. So Atlantic City's got a great future. One of the things we are focusing on is addressing some of the socioeconomic problems that have uh, plagued the city for a very long time. And uh, we are doing very well in that regard also. And COVID forced the closing of casinos for quite a while. Their, their profits dropped by, I think it was 80%. Unemployment skyrocketed. Will will casinos be able to make a comeback this summer? They absolutely will. And uh, I recently attended a meeting uh, with the um, head of the New Jersey Casino Association. The, the uh, owners and uh, the executive leadership, they're very excited. They know that they're going to have a good summer, they tell me. And uh, COVID did, you know, help hurt them dramatically. But what saved uh, those properties is um, sports betting. And, and sports I'm speak- betting. I'm speaking with Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver. Lieutenant Governor, a lot of people I speak with are concerned about housing, and that that's under your purview at the Department of Community Affairs. What happens when the moratorium on evictions that the, that the Murphy administration initiated at the start of the pandemic, what happens when that expires? Well, you know, we currently um, are soliciting applicants for our rental assistance program. There is still time for people to apply for that. As a matter of fact, uh, tomorrow I will have staff uh, at all of the vaccination sites uh, at the Grateful for the Shop initiative that we're doing, and they'll be able to take applications from people. They'll be probably at more than 24 locations tomorrow. Uh, We are utilizing $353 million that we received uh, under the second wave of of, uh, funding. And under the American Rescue Plan, we will receive another appropriation for rental assistance. And happily, we will also receive some funding to help folks with their mortgages. So uh, we will be prioritizing uh, as much of the federal money that's coming into us for rental assistance and 
mortgage assistance. Uh, you know that uh, U.S. Secretary Marsha Fudge from HUD has been in New Jersey three times since she uh, assumed uh, her office, and uh, we're building a great relationship with her. We have a great relationship with Region 2's office overall, and we have. And uh, they tell us that uh, New Jersey is ahead of the curve board when you uh, compare us to the other state agencies around the country in getting money out to people and, uh, you know, maximizing what we're getting. So I think even within Region 2, when there are states that aren't using their money, uh, they feel very comfortable throwing it over to us in New Jersey. Uh, So uh, we will be there uh, for people. And if we find that um, we don't have enough federal assistance, I know that the legislature wants to make sure that people uh, are remaining in their homes and the uh, governor uh, is prepared to uh, work with the legislature in making certain that we can identify uh, state resources if that is necessary. And Lieutenant Governor, there's a there's an af- affordable housing shortage in New Jersey. Uh, Long term, what's the administration? What's the Murphy administration doing to address that? Well, you know, during 2020, uh, in the midst of a pandemic, the New Jersey Housing Mortgage Finance Agency, working with uh, private sector developers and nonprofit housing developers, we produced 505,000 new affordable housing units in New Jersey. And often I think that the work that is done by HMFA is overlooked. But we were able to do that housing production in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic. I think that uh, we will continue on that trajectory uh, as, you know, we get back to, quote, normal. Um, We're very excited about uh, replenishing uh, what was once federal funding to us with state funding uh, for affordable home ownership. This is an issue that is very near and dear to my heart, as to it is many others. Governor Murphy, uh, in this proposed budget, has uh, made it an identification of moving $20 million out of the Affordable Housing Trust Fund over to the HMFA in order to continue our home ownership program. And, you know, there's a lot of of, uh, advocacy going on to prevent that transfer of $20 from the AFT over to HMFA. Uh, Because of the healthy real estate market that uh, we are experiencing in New Jersey, moving $20 over to HMFA is not going to thwart the ability to create affordable rental housing in this state. But I have very strong sentiments, as do others, David, that we have an obligation to provide housing for all uh, tiers of people in New Jersey. And a a family of four that has an income of $74,000 a year, they are deserving of having access to affordable housing as well. And I think uh, lifting people up from rental status, for instance, to home ownership status, elevates the economy overall in towns across the state. And everyone is concerned about wealth disparity in New Jersey and the wealth gap 
a good way to start addressing that is by creating opportunities for more people in our state to become homeowners. Just this week, Mayor Raz Baraka in the city of Newark held a press conference where he um, identified three families that are going to move from getting Section 8 vouchers from the Newark Housing Authority and using those vouchers to have a home. And they will use their voucher to pay down a mortgage. I think this is a great way to move people and lift people up from uh, a poverty status. And so, anybody who's watching you knows you're, you're passionate about this, too. That's, yes. that's very clear. And let me ask you, I'm speaking with Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver. I, I want to ask you, I want to shift to politics for a second. Tuesday, Republicans are going to pick Governor Murphy's opponent, and that person in a turn will, will select a running mate uh, who's going to run against you. You served in the Assembly with the frontrunner, Jack Cittarelli, for six years. How was your relationship with him? Well, you know, uh, I had a good relationship with everyone uh, in the General Assembly, both sides of the aisle. Of course, I remember Jack's tenure uh, in the Assembly, uh, always found him, you know, to be a gentleman. But, you know, I'm hoping that as we move forward in this election, that our election is going to be issue-oriented and not based on personality. But uh, I cannot go on record saying that I had... Uh, you know, any type of bad relationship with Jack. And, and Lieutenant Governor, a poll came out two weeks ago. It said that 81% of Republican primary voters want a candidate for governor who embraces Donald Trump's agenda. Uh, what's your view of the role Donald Trump will play in the race for governor this year? Uh, in New Jersey, uh, we know that polling revealed to us that New Jerseyans overall were not uh, embracing uh, the agenda of Donald Trump, quite frankly. You see uh, the amount of vote uh, that votes that were cast in New Jersey for Joe Biden for president. I think that that is going to roll over into this uh, gubernatorial election. Uh, Governor Murphy's and the administration and the cabinet, I think, have addressed the issues that are of importance to New Jersey, all New Jerseyans. Uh, I think that our commitment from our first campaign to create a stronger and fairer New Jersey, uh, I think, you know, in, in even with a pandemic, uh, we can point to accomplishments that we have made going in that direction. We have not forsaken any sector or tier of population uh, in New Jersey. So I do not believe that the Donald Trump agenda is going to have significant impact uh, in terms of New Jerseyans uh, feeling that a second uh, term of a Murphy administration is going to be that bad. Now, of course, in New Jersey, we always have the proverbial campaign issue of property taxes, and that's been with us, David, I would say for the past 50 years or more. At least, at least, yeah. Yeah. So I am certain from those that uh, are our Republican Party supporters in New Jersey, that's going to be a primary issue uh, for them. And of course, because of the pandemic and the COVID restrictions that had to be put in place, I know that uh, another issue that Republican voters are going to have, particularly business owners, is the fact that they were hurt. But I, 
also hear as I travel around the state and people send me emails and place calls to my office that they are very respectful of what Governor Murphy and his administration have done to save lives during a COVID environment. Uh, People are pleased that, uh, you know, restriction had to be put into place uh, because we saved lives. We absolutely did save lives. We did very uh, broad-based testing of COVID, and uh, we've done a great job in vaccination of people for those who wanted it. And we we seem Um, to be over the you know, over over the hurdle, which is which is Absol- good news. Absol- well, absolutely, Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver, thank thank you for joining me. And, and I'm you know I'm uh, I'll say this with with you on you know voting is important on Tuesday. Uh, you know you you, you I, I remember once you you were in a race. I think the margin was like fifty votes. So every vote That's counts. Right. Every, That's every, right. every, and, and I encourage people. I know everybody's happy that they're back outside and the sun is shining. But on Tuesday, come vote. And vote for the candidates of your choice locally as well. Let's not forget our local races. Absolutely. But of course, I encourage your listeners to come out and vote for Phil Murphy. Uh, well, thank you, Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver. It's, it, I'm, I'm pleased to talk to you, and I hope you'll come back uh, sometime before your reelection is over in the fall. I would enjoy that. Thank okay. you, David. Thank you very much. And, and when we come back, I'll speak with two political strategists with seats in the room where decisions on campaigns are going to be made. Uh, Democrat Michael Mueller, Republican Dan Scharfenberger. Don't miss what they say about the primaries. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. The following is a paid political announcement. Who is Hirsch Singh? Can we trust anything he says? Singh claims to be pro-Trump but publicly supported Barack Obama. He says he's a successful businessman, but records show he still lives with his parents, paying zero in property taxes. Worse, Singh is bankrolled by the same major donor who funded liberals like Hillary Clinton and even Phil Murphy. That's deceptive. That's dishonest. That's Hirsch Singh. Republicans need a leader who can beat Phil Murphy. That leader is Jack Cedarelli. Jack will cut taxes, end the Murphy lockdowns, reopen our schools, defend life, and protect our freedoms. For decades, the liberal special interests have crushed New Jersey's working families, and it's only gotten worse under Phil Murphy. Jack Cedarelli is the conservative leader who can take them on and the only Republican who can win in November. Because Jack knows New Jersey can do better. And when he's governor, we will. Paid for by Chitterelli for Governor Inc. P.O. Box 427, Somerville, New Jersey. The following is a paid political announcement. Last year, Phil Murphy gave us the biggest property tax increase in a decade during a pandemic. I'm Jack Chitterelli, Republican candidate for governor. I've built two businesses here in New Jersey, creating jobs, opportunity, and community. This is where my wife, Melinda, and I raised our four children. New Jersey's my home and yours. But sadly, New Jersey's broken. It's broken because of Phil Murphy's failed leadership, and he just continues to make things worse. Leaving thousands of veterans and seniors dead in nursing homes because of his devastating COVID policies. Destroying our small businesses with his extended lockdowns. Raising our taxes while adding billions in new spending. He even said, if taxes are your issue, then New Jersey's probably not your state. you got to be kidding me. Who says that? Taxes are our issue, and Phil Murphy shouldn't be our governor. New Jersey can do better. With Republican Jack Cittarelli as governor, we will. Paid for by Cittarelli for Governor, Inc. P.O. Box 427, Somerville, New Jersey. When it comes to autism... 
Finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. So one of the things I really enjoy is when I can talk to political insiders from both parties at the same time, especially three days before an election. So I'm joined by Michael Mueller, who runs the assembly campaigns for Democrats, and Dan Scharfenberger, who runs Senate campaigns for Republicans. Gentlemen, welcome. It's great to be here with you, David. Yeah, thanks, David. Yeah, my pleasure. And and so let's talk about the race for governor. Democrats have no primary for the first time. I think it's 28 years. Four Republicans are, are running against Phil Murphy. Michael Mueller, any predictions on the Republican primary? Look, I think that Jack Chiarelli comes uh, across the line, but in a much closer race than uh, I would have expected when this first started. And Dan Scharfenberger, what's your, what's your take on this primary? I mean, very simply, Jack Cittarelli is far and away our best candidate for governor. People across this state have already seen him on TV. They're hearing him on the radio, reading about him in mailboxes. And I know they they like what they see. Jack is so uniquely qualified to be our nominee because he's a common sense conservative. And then in the general election, he's got that cross-party appeal that we need. Listen, it's a math equation. When we get down to the general election statewide as Republicans here in New Jersey, neither Republicans, the Democrats, the right amount of independence to get across the finish line. Jack Chiarelli is the right message, and he's the right messenger to get that math equation right. And to be clear, Hersing is a liar and a loser. You cannot trust anything he says, and he's obviously not who he says he is. He lies about his resume. He lies about his political affinity. And over the past few weeks, that's become very clear. And folks on the other side of the aisle have tried to make this primary, and they'll probably make this general election, about Donald Trump, the 45th president. But the reality of it is, if you like Donald Trump or not, you're still paying some of the highest property taxes in the nation. If you like Donald Trump or not, you still have a governor who left 8,000 seniors dead in nursing homes. If you like Donald Trump or not, you still have a governor who had decimated this economy with the longest, most destructive lockdowns in the nation. David, you see where I'm going with this? Jack Cittarelli is the right general election candidate to beat Phil Murphy. So, Michael, Michael Mueller, do you, do you, are you secretly rooting for her sing? Look, I feel confident that in the fall, in, in a state where, frankly, um, you know, we've been able to prove, uh, you know, time and again that, you know, the demographics have not just moved in our direction, uh, but we, we've, we've run better campaigns. We've had, um, you know, successful candidates, uh, you know, from the local level all the way up uh, to the gubernatorial level, not to mention uh, the recent federal success. And I think when it comes down to it, look, you know, Jack Chiarelli, uh, you know, has to prove it on the, the playing field. You know, when he was a state legislator in LD16, you know, he barely survived uh, a challenge from little-known Maureen Vela back in uh, 2015. So uh, let's see how he uh, moves up in a different class race. 
And, and I'm speaking with uh, two political strategists, Republican Dan Scharfenberger and Democrat Michael Mueller. So there hasn't been a lot of coverage of this gubernatorial primary. I mean, Gannett didn't even bother covering one of the debates, uh, 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 although one of the reporters proved this week he could at least name the four candidates. So there's that. But but there's there really hasn't been a lot of in-depth detail about where Chitterelli or Singh or Phil Rizzo, Brian Levine stand on the issues. Uh, uh, Dan, does the decline of newspapers affect turnout? Does it affect this year's race for governor? Well, I think it affects the movement of information, just like you uh, insinuated. I mean, but the reality of it is, I can be that messenger, I think, right now, is that Jack is a common-sense conservative. He supports Donald Trump's successful policies, and that's why he's going to be successful in this primary. And then he has that huge cross-party appeal that in a general election will make him a successful candidate. Uh, And I I think that message is really going to resonate. And, yeah, I I wish it would get a little bit more news coverage than it does. Um, But, you know, we we try the best we can. And, Michael, what are you seeing about turnout, return VBMs? What what, what kind of projections are you seeing? Yeah, and I think one of the big changes, like, you know, 2020, obviously, being federal year presidential primary, you you throw it out the window. It's not a like election normally. But we all saw the difference of an all-VBM election in the middle of the pandemic where – you know, when you give a voter um, a ballot, you know, in their, you know, at their kitchen table, you're going to see a higher rate of return. And so you're looking at a much different electorate. I mean, I, but as I look at this year, I think it's more of a return to normalcy. You know, we've got right now ballpark about 175,000, um, you know, VBM ballots have been returned uh, statewide. And, you know, on both parties, uh, it's, you know, well over 80% of them are voters uh, 50 years or older. So, you know, we're going to start seeing uh, a little bit more of a traditional electorate and return to normalcy, where 2020 was a little bit of the outlier, um, you know, because of the fact that, you know, the ballots were just, you know, placed in voters' hands in a much more easier way to participate. And, Michael, we're talking uh – we're talking a lot about the 37th District Senate primary. Uh, Loretta Weinberg's retiring. Two assembly members, both of whom you've, you've worked with in the past, Gordon Johnson, Valerie Veneri Huddle, are, are in a primary for that seat. Uh, which way is that going to go? Oh, it's going to be Gordon Johnson, and I think there's a couple of big reasons, uh, you know, why. And uh, you know, beyond a lot of the talk that usually circulates this time of year about the line and such, I mean, when you really take a look at it, uh, Gordon Johnson has been, you know, for throughout his career has been a very, you know, local representative. He's he's at the backyard barbecues all summer long. This is kind of the way he you know, normally handles his politics. And Valerie Huddle, to her credit, has developed a great reputation in, in Trenton on the public policy front. But you know, especially in a lower turnout primary election, you know, a lot of it comes down to the, the shoe leather and being able to touch people in a real way. And it's one of the reasons why he was able to run up a uh, convincing uh, you know, score in the convention before it ever happened, which is why Valerie Huddle pulled out of the convention process. And I'm speaking with political strategists Dan Scharfenberger and Michael Mueller. Dan, what about the second district? Uh, you've got a, a Republican state senator, Chris Brown, retiring, trying to hold that seat. Uh, the organization candidates a former assemblyman, Vince Palestina, but Seth Grossman, who is uh, uh, a conservative, conservative, is running off the line. Uh, where do you see that primary going? Yeah, Vince Palestina is the right choice in that primary. He's been raising a lot of money, over $100,000 so far, and farther north than that. He has the resources to win the general election. And that's, again, what these primaries really come down to. Uh, I think Seth Grossman even knows himself he's not an electable candidate in the general election. Uh, We need a Republican 
who can not only bring that Republican base together along with that Democrat and independent base that's especially important in Atlantic County. It's really important path to victory if you dig into the numbers. Uh, but there's no point in being a Republican nominee if you cannot win in November. We cannot allow Vince Mazio to be the state senator from that district. Vince Palestina will succeed Chris Brown in that district, and he will actually get to the state house and fight for South Jersey. And, and Michael, you're you know you 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 have helped you helped elect Vince Mazio to the assembly. Do you do you see an upset in this primary? Do you see Seth Grossman as being uh, viable? Uh, look, you know, often you know the you you have to be very careful to not let history repeat itself. Uh, in this case, like I feel like having watched closely on the ground in 2018 uh, in Atlanta County, what Seth Gross was able to do. I look, I feel like I've watched Vince Policina completely underestimate him in this primary. He's uh, he's ignored him. We could have a conversation about who's a better general election candidate. The bottom line is Seth Grossman got 52.5% of the vote in the LD2 towns when he ran three years ago in a congressional primary, and that was a four-way race. I think to underestimate Seth Grossman's local appeal, and it's kind of funny when you look at the conversation, um, you know, where you know people want to wrap themselves around uh, you know Donald Trump. Seth Grossman has that going for him. He he's a lot more aligned with the with the the Trump agenda, you know, and this is going to be a problem for um, Vince in the primary. I'll also like add the NRA endorsement. You know, obviously in a Republican primary, that was a that was an important shot in the arm. I think that one's going to be a very very close contest and. Look, you know, frankly, it doesn't even matter who the nominee is. Vince Mazio has had, you know, tremendous record uh, since he's been in the state legislature. And he is, you know, a very well-known brand in Atlanta County. And, you know, when we move into the general election, you know, Vince Mazio is going to be, you know, the rock star. It's going to be really hard for, you know, any Republican to compete with in the 2nd District. And the other Senate primary I'm watching is is in the 20th. It's Joe Cryan and Jamel Holly. Dan, Dan, you don't have any skin in this game. The Republicans aren't aren't running anybody there but but what's your what's your take on what happens there well yeah in the 20th district i think it's really spelling the story of an intolerant democratic party intolerant of debate intolerant of dissent and i think jamal holly's uh just the the byproduct of that it's unfortunate for him uh, he had a political career in union county uh and and in trenton that he had stepped on out of line out of democratic line on a couple of issues and he's paying the price for the seat but it just spells I think a bigger picture uh, of what Democrats are really about in 2021. And we're talking about specifically he, uh, his opposition to to vaccines. And I'm not talking about COVID vaccines. I'm talking about vaccinating children going to school. Is is that uh, is is that the issue, or is it is it just that? Uh, I mean, Joe Cryan's Joe Cryan's not a uh, not anything other than a liberal Democrat. Shouldn't you know? Shouldn't he? rightfully expect to win a democratic primary well look I'm, I'm speaking from this side of the aisle and i think it is that medical freedom issue uh but like i'm saying it's it's simply a, a story of a bigger picture that democrats are intolerant of debate or intolerant of dissent within their own caucus intolerant of of anything other than group to think and unfortunately jamal holly for one reason or the other is a part of that michael are, are democrats intolerant in new jersey uh, absolutely not. Actually, uh, we have a you know we have a very big tent on, of not just uh, from diversity, but from diversity of ideas. Look, this is also a case when let's you know we can call it you know whether or not it is you know intolerant. I think the people that right now aren't 
you know, tolerant of the people of the district who just disagree with Jamal Holly on an issue that they're very passionate about. And, you know, in all, look, in all honesty, when you take a look at it, Joe Cryan obviously has a, tre- a tremendous lifetime of service uh, in, in the district and community. You know, it's a very well-known, uh, you know, brand as you go through uh, the years in Union County politics. Jamel Hawley, you know, right now is, you know, against the will of the people in his district in a significant way. So this isn't an, uh, this isn't an intolerance of the de- of Democratic Party electeds or insiders. You know, if you go against, you know, people in your district on a major public policy issue that they feel passionate about, you know, you're probably going to get waxed at the ballot box. And uh, it looks like he's about to do that. Okay, and I, I'm speaking with Republican strategist Dan Scharfenberger, Democratic strategist Michael Mueller. You guys have generously agreed to stay on with me. I'm going to just go to a break, and we'll come back and talk about some assembly races. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein, and I'm speaking with political strategist Dan Scharfenberger from the Senate Republicans and uh, Democrat Michael Mueller from from the uh, the Assembly side. Uh, let me go. Let me go through some of these Assembly races, uh, Dan. District 26 has just been a hot race. Uh, you've got two incumbents, one on the line, one not on the line in Morris, uh, and then it's separate in Passaic and Essex. What's your, uh, this is a safe district for you in the general, but what's your take on this for the primary? Yeah, David, you're putting it lightly saying it's a hot race. It is indeed. All these candidates are working really hard. And as you know, this is a very Morris County heavy district. Um, and believe it or not, this, this, uh, this primary battle started back in February. It seems like 
ages ago now at the first ever Morris County Republican nominating convention. This is the first time, as you know, that they've had the line um, in, in, in their history, actually. So, um, so all these candidates are working really hard. There were two candidates who had earned the line in Morris County, other candidates who had earned it in the other counties in the district. Uh, but, you know, what Morris County Republicans know best is how to come together after a primary. There has never been a year in Morris County without a contested primary. They're very good at fighting hard in the primary, talking about the issues, and then coming together in November to make sure Democrats don't gain an inch. So I'm, I'm guessing, I think Jay Weber's going to win. I think he's going to get one of those spots. Uh, uh, and, and I think this is one of these races where, where uh, you might see an off-the-line win. If, if Betty Lou De- and Michael Mueller, I'll ask you this question. If, if Betty Lou DeCroce can't win off-the-line, does, does that strengthen the argument from progressives that lines are truly an unfair advantage? Look, I think the I think the argument of progressives uh, from the party line, for the most part, you know, also just ignores you know candidates that can put together a really strong campaign, and a, there's a number of factors that go into it. And I, I do think the argument uh, gets weakened substantially here because Betty Lou DeCroach, you know, is a real brand and a name. Obviously, we don't spend a lot of time toiling in the 26th district, but from afar, you have to respect, uh, you know, the brand that she's built, you know, separate and distinctly after, you know, the distinguished service, you know, you know, of uh, her late husband. Yeah. And and Dan, let me ask you about the 39th. This one, I'm 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 not really sure. I mean, there's no polling. I'm not really sure how to gauge this, but. Uh, uh, Bob Auth and, and, and the newest member of the Assembly, Deanne DeFuccio, uh, are running on the line in Bergen County, but their, their opponents, John Azaridi and John Kirpus, have, have raised a decent amount of money, and Holly Shapizzi is supporting them. Is this, is this a possible sleeper? Is this a place that we could be looking at an upset on Tuesday? No, you know, I, I don't know. Again, all these candidates are working very hard in that district. But what I can take from what I've seen so far is Bergen County Republicans are really engaged, really fired up. I think you remember that special uh, convention to fill Senator Cardinale's seat. It was a photo finish. Uh, it was a really good race. We're thrilled to have uh, Senator Shapizzi as part of the Senate Republican Caucus now and running for uh, re-election. But what, what's really important to understand is that these types of campaigns, these primary campaigns that you might think are divisive, that you might think are destructive, it's really like a baseball season. You don't put the team together in September, October, November, and expect to win the whole thing. You start out here in the primary, out here in May, June, July. Get the engines going. Make sure you're winning now so that you can make it to the World Series in October and November and win. And, and you know, another district where there's a hot Republican primary is the 13th. Uh, Dan, I'm going to leave you out of this one for a second because you're, you know, you, one of the incumbents in that race is, is your father, who I don't think has any trouble winning. But but Monmouth County Republicans took an incumbent uh, uh, off their line. They, they denied her party support for re-election, Serena DeMasso. They replaced her with Vicki Flynn. Uh, Michael, do you think... Do you think the line holds there? Does DeMasso lose? Look, I, I think the line holds there. I think the Monmouth County uh, Republican organization is a strong uh, organization, and it, it seems like Serena uh, wound up, uh, you know, being in a really kind of tough spot here. And look, a lot of these races, especially on assembly primaries, if you wind up having a strong bracket together with, you know, a, a, a like running mate that brings a lot to the table, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're not in a real two-on-one contest. And this one uh, feels more like, uh, you know, she's been outflanked in this scenario. And, and Dan, 
District 10, Ocean County. It's the Toms River Brick District. So, so you have two incumbents, Greg McGuck and John Catalano. Uh, they're facing they're facing a challenge that that it seems to me may not be as much about the assembly candidates, but about maybe setting up a county chairman's race next year with uh, with George Gilmore, maybe maybe possibly looking for a, a comeback against Frank Holman. Are, are McGuckin and Catalano in, in any danger there, or is that just going to uh, be a big nothing burger at the end of the night on Tuesday? No, I'm, I'm very optimistic. They're two very good members of, of the state assembly. Uh, but this is not, again, it's not a negative thing to have these types of primaries. On the Republican side, we enjoy primaries. They're healthy. We get to debate, and then we support the two who come out victorious uh, in, ju- in June. We support them in November. Um, and I don't think it has any larger implications, David. I really don't. Uh, Ocean County was the strongest, largest Republican organization in the state for decades before uh, the, the mantle of the chairmanship was turned over. And, and the current chairman is, is still delivering huge margins. I think you saw the, uh, the margins for candidates up and down the ballot in Ocean County in 2020. And the, the idea is to uh, replicate that this year for Jack Cittarelli. It's a very crucial part of his path to victory, uh, and that needs to be a strong organization. And, and I, I want to ask, you know, as, as we move from governor to through the legislature, there's there's some hot local races. Michael, one of the ones I'm watching is in in Camden, uh, where Vic Carstarfin, just just the mayor for about the last month, is uh, is is running for a full term. Uh, is he in good shape there? I think he's in great shape, uh, and you could see some of the, uh, you know, the, the, the key notable endorsements that will matter in a Democratic primary. You know, just recently, uh, you, you were, you know, quick to report the Cory Booker endorsement uh, down in Camden City in that race, and I think Vic's, uh, you know, well positioned. And this is also a place where um, the the early vote uh, via vote by mail is uh, is a big factor because um, there is no stronger vote by mail uh, participation anywhere in the state than out of Camden County, and that's uh, going to be a you know, a big help to him uh, is that uh, he is a strong organizational candidate. And Dan, let me ask you about Edison because this is a Democratic primary that has just been, I mean, just just been on fire. We only we only have a, a, a couple of seconds left, but but is is Edison the fifth largest town in the state, a place that Republicans can win a mayorship in in November? I think absolutely because then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why very simply because I know we're short on time. Yeah. It's because the the shared issues and the shared values of the people that. Uh, are, are going to be voting this election. They'll, they'll hear from the top and the bottom of the ticket is that New Jersey is broken. It's actually shattered under Phil Murphy. And I think in a diverse city like Edison, it's a big city. Republicans have won it before, can really come behind the Republican brand. Uh, and It's going to be a great race to watch. Well, gentlemen, thank you. Republican Dan Scharfenberger, Democrat Michael Mueller, thank you for joining me. We'll all be watching uh, election results on Tuesday night. Uh, This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together.